Tacky Talk time, folks. It's State Representative Tacky Chan of Quincy here for our weekly updates. Hey, Tacky, how are you? Hey, Joe. It's uh, great to be here again. And uh, this time it's a rainy, rainy Thursday. I know that this is, uh, well, we're getting down to the end of September now. Hard to believe. Yeah, as you all have been hearing, it's been a drought type summer, which now I thought of, think about it. I should have been up on my roof cleaning up my gutters uh, because, you know, you want to clean them up when they're not full of water, right? Uh, but it's been, a, as you all know, been a very busy summer in the legislature. And uh, a lot of uh, those kind of things that I needed to do in housekeeping got pushed to the side to the fall. And now it's raining. Uh, but no, this is obviously very good for the drought conditions we have, um, you know, statewide. Quabbin could use more rain as well as local wells. Uh, but the challenge, of course, it's not really challenging in the sense that we can do anything about it, but you don't want rain like a deluge. Uh, the ground ain't ready to absorb the water. Um, it can cause all kinds of the chaos. So, you know, um, we need steady rain, but not like, you know, a nor'easter. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, it's typically how we get it around here. So we'll have to wait and see what the fall brings. This is, we're actually recording this on the last day of summer. Oh, that's right. We're into that part of the the uh, calendar of telling us when things happen, but this is New England. It happens when it really wants to happen on its own. You know. <laughs> exactly. Um, so uh, with the with the fall arriving also comes the uh, fall election cycle, right? Absolutely. Uh, we talked about the primaries uh, last week. So if you want to see my thoughts on that, you know, that was last week's podcast. Uh, obviously, Democrats feel like they're in a very strong position uh, going into November. Um, you know, the polling, you know, the polling is the polling. They don't have to tell anybody about this. I mean, the Maura Healy is just running away of it at this point. And the polling seems consistent from everybody across the board. And, uh, you know, you do have a very underfunded Republican. Uh, he has about 16 grand in the bank. Um, and I do not see a national money of being put into this race because people are not that stupid with their money. Uh, national groups will uh, look at uh, viable races or highly competitive races and just dump like 30 million bucks or whatever into it. Um, yeah, so, we're seeing that in the New Hampshire, in this New Hampshire Senate race, we're definitely seeing that. Oh, absolutely. Because we're uh, the local media is part of the television coverage. So I'm sure those of us that still watch, you know, the 6 to 7 p.m. news, uh, which I do like to do as much as possible. You get that five-minute block between 6.25 uh, and 6.30, and it's a deluge of commercials, of which half of them are New Hampshire ones. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's interesting. And it, I, do you think that has an impact on voting in Massachusetts? I, I don't believe so. I think all it does is create people who scratch their heads as who's this person that may be on my ballot. Right. Uh, but I mean, as a political junkie, you know, one of the interesting things they did notice, uh, particularly in the Republican Party, is who can out Republican which Republican? <laughs> yes, that's very true. One of them is claiming to be uh, ultra conservative, another one is a moderate conservative. I, it's it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because we're such a food democratic state, uh, and we know New Hampshire is kind of a tale of two states, especially these days in politics. You know, I, I do find it you know very interesting education watching uh, these commercials. Uh, with the other party in competitive primaries uh, to see, you know, how the message works. And it's, if you look carefully in the bottom, the super PACs mm -hmm. are not uh, candidate driven. So the candidates actually don't know uh, what the ads are. And the super PAC has to operate independently of the candidate. So when that happens, you know, maybe the candidate's like, oh, this is great. Or maybe the candidate's like, oh, my God, you're killing me. But the candidate can't do anything about it. 
Yeah, I think people do not understand that for sure because the candidates are featured in the ads. Absolutely, and that's kind of one of the uh, really kind of the uh, uh, tricks, so to speak, of the uh, super PACs. There, they can use your image as a candidate, uh, and uh, either you know try to make you look good, try is the keyword, or you know slander you immensely, which they can do as well. Um, and sometimes they try to make you look good, and it kind of like blows up in your face. And that's that actually did happen um, in the primary. I mean, the the heavy ads uh, for particular, I can't remember that state senator to make him look uh, as you know uber Republican right wing as possible didn't make it out of the a primary. He got crushed right. by uh, actually a more conservative person than those ads you saw. And the same thing in the uh, Republican primary on the congressional uh, side, uh, where they're trying to Republicans are trying to get rid of this twenty five year old uh, woman. Uh, Republican try to make her look like a foolish, a young person, a foolish. Is she considered a millennial? I have no idea what these things are called. I mean, I think like, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think maybe. Uh, but they try to make her look very foolish in these super packs, um, and it didn't work. She she went through a very smooth victory in, in a large primary field. So, um, like I said, sometimes uh, you know these attack ads uh, done poorly, or these buff you up ads done poorly. Um, doesn't sell to uh, party uh, voters in primaries. Right. But back here in Massachusetts, uh, it appears at least uh, right now, given all the polling and the um, campaign uh, spending, that Mara Healy is going to break the curse of uh, attorney generals running for governor. Yeah, it's been a it's a long curse. Frank Bellotti, uh, Hoshbarger, uh, Riley, my former employer, Martha Coakley, and the tightest governor's race we've seen in like a century. Uh, those those less than fifty thousand votes, if I remember correctly. Yes. Um, and now we have more Healy for the first time. We have kind of a runaway train in a uh, non-contested primary, really unheard of in Massachusetts. Democrats murder each other in primaries in this state. Yeah. Um, most people don't realize that it's the blood fight is the Democratic primary. Um, having done one myself many years ago, um, and uh, you know a, a very you know underfunded. Um, opponent uh, that frankly has no name recognition. It's it's very low, and people who do have his name recognition, according to uh, polling I got recently, uh, only connects him to Donald Trump and absolutely nothing else. They know nothing else. Right. Yeah. So, um, well, we'll see what happens. Of course, nothing's a foregone conclusion, but uh, trends at least uh, are indicative of what's going to happen. I think you'll see that the turnout. I think will be higher than the, than the primary was. Yes, uh, it will be significantly higher. Uh, not a lot of national politics will be driving out folks to send messages about their position. I do believe it's going to be a very strong Democratic year, you know, with um, especially with uh, Roe versus Wade's uh, decision. Uh, the uh, most recent stunt that we talked about with DeSantis and sending migrants up from Florida that only, to be honest, really just helps Democrats uh, when you see that type of behavior. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, basically done to the peaceful people of Massachusetts. I'm not saying the word that in a negative manner whatsoever, uh, but I mean, it's what he did. Um, and a lot of investigations will be going on on that. Uh, very happy here at Texas Sheriff's like, hey, this doesn't seem right. What you doing? And I think, you know, that's another thing. I'm, I'm happy that law enforcement at the county, because the county runs government really, those, those states have stepped forward. And, um, you know, said, you know, we should take a look at this, um, you know, uh, uh, let's, let's just let it slide. 
Yeah, so it's interesting what, from what I've been able to read and, and and comprehend. These these people were were not illegal, quote unquote. They were they were in the system and waiting to to be processed when they were lured away. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend I know more than anyone else in this one. The governor's office did provide us information about what human services they're providing in terms of transition and how to handle the matter. But I mean, in terms of like detail details, I can't say. But uh, my understanding is the same you understand. These are folks seeking legal asylum. They have pending immigration court cases in Florida or somewhere actually this past Monday. Uh, for those who don't realize, you don't show up at immigration court, you've got a real problem. Uh, okay. Rescheduling is so backlogged. And sometimes the court looks at it very, very poorly if you don't make your appearance on time. Uh, you guys can imagine what that's like if you're supposed to make a court case and you're up here trusting, trusting the Florida government to do the right thing. People forgot that part. They trusted them. They trusted government. And this is a clear breach of trust. And the Florida governor and uh, certain folks uh, are acting like, yeah, that's cool. And using, um, as I understand, taxpayer dollars uh, to to commit that, you know, uh, dupe, if you will. Absolutely. And that, that's part of it as well. I mean, the taxpayers should, you know, definitely hold people accountable of how it's spent. Clearly, I get unhappy emails. Uh, so I mean, I know what it's like. Uh, but I mean, especially someone who wants to run for president, using this as basically a, a political way to garner his base, to quite mm-hmm. frankly you know, who don't think about what you just said. You, How do you uh, trust uh, an elected official which misuse people's trust that are here legally and the political asylum folks? This isn't just, you know, other types of immigrants because, you know, Venezuela, they will get killed if they go home, right? If you know anything about Venezuela, right now it's this very uh, unstable civil war where the U.S. is recognizing the president-elect of the opposition that's in exile, fighting the current president uh, who controls the military. And these are folks who uh, spoke out and uh, stood for democracy, you know, pursuant to the State Department's uh, position. And uh, they can't go to the Venezuelan consulate. Uh, they will be arrested immediately. Uh, they can't go home. They will die. Um, and uh, they're here uh, legally seeking asylum, waiting for a court to decide their status. Um, and they trusted uh, the government of Florida on their f- word of what they say they were going to do. And uh, they end up in Martha's Vineyard. Now, I'm sure some people will call, like, you know, I know that people, I'm not, you know, I do know that people in this city are like, you know, and, you know, different opinions on immigration. And, and some are very uh, compassionate folks. And I'll be honest, some are not. But let's skip all that for a second. This is, Government at its worst on trusting government's word. And this is like not like building a road where it affects like, you know, a neighborhood. This is like a one-on-one trust issue, mm-hmm. right? Like literally personal. Well, yeah, according to the, the that sheriff that you mentioned in, in, in Texas, uh, there's a woman was paid, you know, to actually lie to these people to convince them to get on those planes go to Florida. And then from there, <laughs> the system continued to fail and, and they ended up in, in uh, Martha's Vineyard. Have you touched touch base with your uh, colleagues down in the Cape about this, Jackie? Yeah, my co-chair, uh, Sue Moran, is uh, the senator uh, from the Cape. 
Um, she's in the Barnstable to Plymouth district. Uh, and uh, I love Sue. Uh, great to work with her and a great friend. Uh, and uh, it's a juggle right now. I mean, they're at the military base down there and uh, human services are coming in. But the problem again is there's a lot of legal problems that have arisen. Uh, you've seen there's a class action suit. There's a criminal investigation in Texas. Um, they these folks do not know what happened. Um, they don't know if they still have a job, if they had a job in Florida, they don't have to still have a job anymore. Um, there's a whole lot of like, what do we do now uh, moments. Uh, it's like, imagine being, um, you know, in a foreign country, you don't speak the language or you have minimal language skills and someone picked you up, said, we're going to take care of you, get on this. Don't worry about your job at home. Don't worry about those immigration court cases. Don't worry about anything. We're going to give you a better life and you get transported out. Mm -hmm. It sounds like human trafficking, doesn't it? I think that that term was mentioned more than once. Yes. But that's how uh, coyotes, uh, those, you know, those are the terms of uh, people who smuggle uh, folks from uh, South America, Central America into the United States under the promise of uh, hope. In that case, they pay coyotes like 10,000, 20,000 US dollars to do that. And many of them die in travel. Some are robbed, raped and killed on the way up, you know, seeking a, a safe life, trying to escape war-torn area or um, extreme poverty or uh, cartels. Um, you know, I'm having a hard time uh, seeing the difference other than the fact that, you know, Florida taxpayer money was used. Mm, yeah. And to see, um, I, I think seeing the, the pictures, the videos of these folks dispelled a lot of myths about what a migrant looks like and is. I mean, you know, these were not, this is not a ragtag group of people that, you know, swam to this country on inner tubes. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, they're educated people, their families, their children, um, trying to make a better lives for themselves. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, as you all know, I talk to other consulates, talk to a lot of folks, uh, Outside of Quincy, I do talk to people outside of Quincy, guys, right? And uh, is the benefit of one of these jobs uh, gives me a lot of exposure to a lot of different people and ideas. And, uh, you know, when, a lot of countries trust us to be good people because that's what they're taught at home. Most countries don't look at us as evil imperialists. That's kind of a very small group of, of folks that take advantage of uh, America's position in the world to drum up their... Um, local people to keep them in power, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, North Korea's example of that. You've seen that in China. You see that in uh, other uh, dictator uh, countries. Now, Russia, for example, right? Obviously, Venezuela. Um, and uh, a lot of folks, as you point out, you know, have access to the internet. They're better educated. And they look at us as the example of stability, democracy, and opportunity. And, uh, you know, this really shatters faith in people about. Yeah quite frankly, a very positive qualities in the United States. Uh, and it, it's somewhat very shameful uh, to find yourself in that position where as a collective country, you know, people want to look at us like, you know, we're, we're just um, dishonest and untrustworthy. And, uh, we, you know, our, their belief in our standards of, of quality and morality has now been questioned. Yeah. Um, hopefully, um, it's at least this issue may have uh, prevented future incidents like this from occurring. No. You don't no. think so? No, I mean, these are all political stunts. I mean, that is not me being partisan. I mean, and I've been around a while watching a lot of stunts, whether it be in Quincy local level, on the federal level, and even on the international level, right? We see missiles being flown over Taiwan, right? Mm. 
It's not like, a, although that's kind of an extreme stunt when you're tossing missiles at people, but I mean, they're partially stunts too. It's all about political, whether it be local politics at home or geopolitical politics. Um, and also politics at home is selling uh, things at home to distract you from something else or to garner uh, nationalistic support to maintain your position of power. And nationalism is a good thing and a bad thing. And it's about supporting the country, not about supporting individual. And America historically has been very respectful of people in office. You may not like people, but they're respectful of the office because we're here to support not the individual, but support the whole community, support the whole country. It's really a big part of the U.S. philosophy, especially even part of nationalism. People didn't become uh, supporters of World War II because of they were there backing Roosevelt as an individual. They're backing the principles of America and the need to uh, support these principles that are being eroded in Europe and other parts of the world because of, of the uh, Nazis uh, movement as well as imperialist Japan. And well, Italy was kind of interesting as we know in World War II. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting conversation about their role. Well, they finally figured it out. <laughs> yeah, it took a, yeah they, Mussolini had a lot of problems in World yeah. War II. That's what no one talks about World War II with them involved. People forgot they were part of the axis of power, right? Um, they were misled. So, they were led down the wrong path, but they figured yeah. it out. <laughs> and Mussolini got his at the end, right? So, right. Uh, but no, it's it's kind of uh, you, know, you know when I, I learn about nationalism in school, and uh, it's it's not about rallying around individuals, rallying around the country. So that 9/11, uh, you know, reference was made yes. to that by, by uh, Joe Biden during the 9/11. Memorial, we rally around people, us as a collective, not around a single person. And it's right, yeah. I think Congressman Lynch mentioned it at the Quincy uh, service that I know you were at as well. Yes. And this is kind of the change in America that we often see in, frankly, communist and dictator countries. Uh, they rally around the individual. Let's uh, switch gears a little bit, if we can, Tacky, and talk about, there are going to be four ballot questions <laughs> in Massachusetts this year. I don't think people know that. <laughs> yeah, uh, ballot questions tend to get blank because people don't know what they are. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're gonna, let's chat about a couple of them because yeah. uh, a couple of them we've talked about a lot already. Um, so let's do, uh, let's talk about question one a bit. Uh, you guys have all now saw advertising. I've talked about this last year because we haven't talked about it in a long time. Um, the millionaire tax. The so-called millionaire's tax. Yeah. So uh, the, this is a constitutional change. Uh, under the state constitution, it requires the approval of two separate legislative sessions to give a majority vote to put on the ballot. The next state election year, once approved by the legislature, it will be on the ballot. And if it reaches a majority vote, the constitution is now amended. So this is actually not a, a ballot question to change the law. This is a constitutional amendment. This is a very difficult thing to make happen because again, it takes two uh, consecutive legislative sessions uh, to vote on the issue positively in a constitutional convention of both the House and the Senate together with a majority vote. So it takes you know six years to to put on the ballot. So as you guys look at this, you know, be mindful. This is this is one of those things going to be around for a long time because it takes, as you notice, quite a few years to change it. So what it does is adds four percent to every dollar over one million dollars that a person earns an income. And this is a little bit of an interesting question because what is income? So Exactly, that's the question to be asked, right. Yeah, and the opponents have actually presented a very good job on, on that front, uh, posing that question. 
because uh, some of us may have uh, temporary increases in income, such as sale of homes and such, uh, sale of business. Um, what does it mean to your tax uh, situation? And of course, you have very good accountants. I'm sure they can, they can work something out. Um, and then you have this uh, advertising part regarding pass-through income and business schedule C's, uh, C-corps, S-corps, uh, personal corporations, which really don't exist much anymore. And it passes right through to, to your bank account. However, you know, on the pass-through, it, it can create uh, a lot of personal expenses, which can also reduce your tax burden immensely. Like, you know, vehicle expense, uh, office expense, rental expense, you know, all the expenses doing business that reduces the size of your income. And that's your true income, your adjusted gross income. Mm-hmm. Right. As well as uh, even though you have an S Corp or C Corp, you know, there's all kinds of payroll things you can work as well mm-hmm. because uh, it, this is an income tax change, not a business tax change. Right. Yes. So it's kind of a case by case situation, as I like yep. to put It's not like a one size fit all, and everybody uh, is different regarding their um, finances and uh, whether this impacts your finances. Um, well, I can't tell you because it's your finances. You guys can do the math. Uh, individually decide if this will impact you. According to the proponents, it affects less than 1% of total income earners based on a 2014 statistics of wages collected. Yeah, the biggest concern I've heard from folks is um, just because of the way the real estate market is around here that a million dollars, If I mean, if you sell a home, you could easily surpass that. That, that is an interesting concern, a legitimate concern. Uh, but again, you know how capital gains tax works and the ability to carry over from one home purchase to other purchase at the federal level. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of uh, interesting um, cap, capital gains loopholes, so to speak, or uh, conditional uh, tax issues. And a lot of stuff uh, sometimes also translates to the state level. Um, and a lot of your deductibles on your federal taxes Believe it, actually transfers also to your state taxes. Also, okay. it's a new turbo tax. You realize that if you fill out your Schedule C, when you have Schedule A's, uh, you know they kind of just move over to you're, the. You're, yeah, you're pretty much done with the state once you've done your federal, right? <laughs> yeah, it kind of just transfers over many of them. Um, so uh, that's why I think if you're going to vote for this uh, or not vote for this, I think you should look. You're right. Look at your, you know, long-term interest regarding your property. Look at your uh, personal finances. Pull out your tax records. Um, if you think you're inside that bracket, obviously I'm far, 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 far away from uh, potentially paying four percent. I think a lot of our uh, viewers and, and listeners are probably pretty far away. Um, but it is a permanent issue. It is a permanent constitutional pr- provision, and uh, you're right. Selling your home a, a large amount of money uh, may be impacted. Um, and they don't definitely uh, they don't talk to your own accountants about your the tax liabilities. Yeah, absolutely. And read this uh, this booklet that the Secretary of State's office sent out uh, to everybody because <laughs> it is yeah. it is in there, but they're not all in here. <laughs> no, uh, it is uh, had to come out uh, before mail-in ballots come out. Uh, the right. Secretary likes to get them out a month, about the month before mail-in ballots come out. Normally, you would have saw that book a lot closer in October, mm-hmm. but because of early voting mail-in ballots, this information has to get out to you sooner. So that's basically question one, folks. I mean, like, yeah. it is a very... Uh, a permanent, not to say permanent, but, you know, a long-term situation because it's difficult to change. And, you know, I ask that you all look at your own, you know, your personal life and see how it's going to impact you as part of your decision-making. So this one is, you know, really has a real effect on you and you get to decide <laughs> whether it's a good idea or not. Very good. Uh, and then a very little known <laughs> question number two about 
uh, dental insurance. Yeah, we uh, the, uh, sometimes referred to as the dent, uh, Delta Dental issue, right? Um, yeah. It's not a new issue. It runs reimbursements uh, for dental care by insurance companies to your dentist. So, uh, you know, a lot of you like, you know, what does that mean? Well, uh, it, it's providing better reimbursement rates for care that you receive from your dentist, from the dental, from the dental insurers. So dentist insurance is one of those things that people don't really pay too much about. It's like eye care insurance. No one pays too much about because it's kind of like the weird part of your life. But their reimbursement rates are controlled by, by the dental insurance companies. And uh, they actually went down um, proportional size of the economy, proportional size of inflation um, the last uh, decade or so, almost decade now. And uh, the dentists are having a hard time making ends meet. Uh, because we talked about earlier about, you know, question one is business expenses, right? So you pay, let's say $100. That $100 doesn't go directly into the dentist's pocket. Right. You know, you have payroll, material costs, all that. And, uh, you know, let's say your $100 payment, you know, is really um, a $20 copay, for example, or a $10 copay, and the insurance picks up the remainder. But the insurance reimbursement rate isn't that amount, and you're in a fixed copay situation, the dentist eats the remainder. Uh, in the situation that isn't a copay where you have to pay the differential, um, you know, the dentist will uh, obviously, you know, require to pay the differential if you, if you have that type of insurance. And uh, if the dental business does not, uh, and dental insurance does not provide a, a better reimbursement for the dentist, the dentist has to pass the cost. Uh, or, you know, there'll be a service challenge, you know, to actually provide those services to you. Hmm. Yeah. So it's a good or bad thing. Well, it's kind of a tricky question, right? Um, my instinct would be yes. And the reason I say that is because, you know, if you know, the insurance company is providing better reimbursement rates, it actually should help keep the out-of-pocket costs down, should, um, and also ensure that services you provide will continue to be providable. Yeah, of course, the companies argue it'll force them to raise their rates. Yeah, and raising rates is actually a collective issue, right? It, it's not just you, it's a collective benefit. So, you know, insurance is one of the things that you hope you never you never hope you never have to use, but it's mm -hmm. good to have. But when it comes to healthcare, it's not the same argument because those arguments about, you know, home, you know, in case a fire burns on your home, right? If you have a car accident, you you, you have, but hope you never use. Health insurance, you should be using your health insurance. And it's a shared cost among all people in health insurance. So uh, you may be uh, very young and healthy paying health insurance, but you're helping out somebody else, so-called, you know, pay it forward mm -hmm. to someone with health conditions that perhaps is an older person. But you, perhaps as a younger person, will be also become an older person. That's right. That's right. Plus, you can utilize it for preventative health services, too. I yeah, very much encourage that. A lot of insurance companies and, and health uh, health providers, you know, offer things like gym memberships and other mm -hmm. things. Do preventative health, you know, definitely get your annual check-in, uh, you know, your flu shots and now your COVID shots as well as your tetanus shots. And, you know, now we got monkeypox shots. Right, and whatever else, yeah. Whatever else. Uh, and, uh, you know, check-in, you'll be a doctor and your health. I'm very diligent about my annual checkup. But also, you know, get your teeth cleaned, you know, every six months. Uh, and your eyes checked a minimum once every two years. Uh, and uh, you have no teeth, you can't eat. Eating is kind of fun. I think it's fun. Well, I have food allergies. It's a little less fun. But, 
But, you know, for most people, uh, good health has actually got tied to good teeth. Yes, that's very true. Yeah, and, and uh, a lot of folks don't don't think of it that way, but a lot of health issues can actually be identified uh, by your dentist before your doctor. Yeah, and infectious uh, in your uh, teeth can actually uh, uh, go into your brain. Yep. So it's very important people have their teeth checked uh, and uh, a dentist that you trust and uh, like to have, and you trust their advice of you know, how to care for your teeth. Um, but you know, people don't think about it very often uh, because we kind of take it for granted as kind of a day of life thing. But uh, maintenance there is very important in terms of long-term health. And you know, I hope everybody here, you know, keep your teeth, you know, through very old age. And, you know, it's been proven, uh, being able to eat, enjoy life, and also aesthetically you know, be able to smile and feel good about yourself is actually a lot of it's tied to your teeth. Oh, yeah. So just uh, from the from that booklet that I referenced um, on question two, it says a yes vote would regulate dental insurance rates, including by requiring companies to spend at least 83% of premiums on member dental expenses and quality improvements instead of administrative expenses and by making other changes to dental insurance regulations. That's a yes vote. A no vote would make no change to the law. Yep. If you don't like the dental care you're getting because your insurance company isn't paying for it, you should vote yes. There you go. Okay. <laughs> That's basically what, what they're trying to tell you. And it's it's a very lengthy uh, uh, description of the proposed initiative. So I encourage folks to really read it closely. And read it several times. <laughs> yeah, and you actually get the full ballot question. Yes. Yeah, so you actually will see the ballot question and the summary in your mail-in ballot, so you can take your time reading it. Good. You also yep. get the red book. And you also get online. Uh, but if you're going to vote in person, um, you know, ballot questions can be intimidating because you have all this uh, section after voting for folks, please vote for me, please vote for me. Uh, <laughs> I'm on the ballot. Uh, but no, it, just making fun there. But in all seriousness, um, you know, it, it takes a bit of effort and the print's really tiny. Uh, I, I, you know, there's only so much you can fit on the ballot. And I think everybody right. sees. Um, so, uh, but things like mail-in ballot, early voting, the Red Book, the internet, tons of advertising, if you want to yeah. watch what advertising pro and against, and, uh, you know, can help you uh, make an informed decision. It's up to you to decide. Um, yeah. And it's going to be a very expensive ballot. I've informed that both the proponents and the opponents are going to spend $5 million each. Wow. Okay. So just, just to show you how important they both both sides think it is. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And the, uh, the opposition uh, will likely have national money. Yeah. Uh, and then three and four we've talked about in the past uh, regarding three is regarding expanding uh, alcohol licenses. And then question four is the, uh, the so-called driver's license uh, initiative. Yeah. We've talked about those adding an item about this point. I mean, question three, very simply, you know, expands the number of liquor store licenses available uh, in each community beyond the current uh, number set by the U.S. Census. And number four gives uh, is a question about whether we should allow a very limited set of undocumented immigrants to uh, have driver's licenses that legislature passed into law. And I say it's a limited set because they have to have a passport, uh, have a uh, consulate identification, either or. Uh, they have to pass a driving exam, which none of us needed to do to pass a driving exam to get a license, which is also cost prohibitive for some folks, and also obviously pass the driving exam itself. So it is not a uh, open to everyone. Uh, it does close the door to a lot of folks, including people uh, we just talked about earlier, uh, those uh, Venezuelans, the political asylum seekers, if they do not have their passport, which uh, most people do not have passports globally, 
um, they can't go to the Venezuelan uh, consulate. Okay, there you go. They can't get a driver's um, November 8th is the in-person voting, but I know early voting starts actually, I think October 22nd uh, starts early voting. Yes, uh, Nikki and the clerks people should have their uh, online uh, times and dates, and you guys will have that as well on early voting. And uh, your mail-in ballots should be showing up sometime the second week of October. You have plenty of time still to register to vote online. You have plenty of time still to get your mail-in ballot. Uh, whether online or call the clerk's office, or uh, you know, you might you should have all got your little forms back in uh, August. You know, self uh, paid for uh, things you can put in mail, and um, you know, I believe uh, they need to have at least one Saturday of, week of early voting, and uh, this will help reduce the congestion on voting day. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, people like it, <laughs> and the numbers show it. You know, the numbers show it. Uh, oh, yeah, just the, the convenience factor, I think, is huge for people. Yeah, yeah, people do like it. Uh, I know that, you know, some folks think it, it's bad, but it was bad. Why are people doing it? Well, it's interesting. You know, I mean, mail-in voting is not new. Uh, they've been doing it for the military and for, you know, remote uh, areas for many years. Yeah, people forget that. I mean, beyond just absentee voting, uh, people have been providing uh, – uh, ballots to overseas military personnel and obviously people living overseas. Uh, and people also forget uh, Joe Shea and Nikki also provides uh, access to early voting for people to live in assisted living facilities. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. You know, Joe, Joe Shea for many years and it's now well known of Nikki, you know, go to assisted living facilities, the clerk's office personally assist uh, people in assisted living facilities, their ability to exercise their right to vote ahead of the election. Most people don't realize this stuff. I mean, they act like it's all like brand new. It is not. We've been doing this stuff forever, it feels like, at right. least in my lifetime. Um, any news on the uh, economic development bill at Beacon Hill, Tacky? Well, conversations still continue. Okay. Uh, and uh, uh, I don't expect us to come back into session. And okay. uh, I do, I've been telling all my friends, they're asking me questions about issues they have in the bill. Don't get your hopes up. Uh, I'm not the optimistic human that we discovered over three years of time together, uh, but I can confirm that a House and Senate leadership, uh, respective chairs, are having conversation. Okay. And we'll see uh, if anything materializes fall. As reminded to folks, that we are in formal session. Any single person can stop um, an issue moving forward in informal session, any individual legislator. Uh, and also, since it's a conference committee, uh, we are able to release parts of the bill. We don't have to release the entire bill. Okay. So, you know, stay tuned. You may see, you know, a couple of pieces come out. And in particular, when you've read in the news is regarding the hospitals, uh, the COVID reimbursement. Uh, I know I've seen these conspiracy memes as well as you guys may have about these hospitals, you know, encouraging COVID because they had paid by the feds. Uh, oh, yeah, that's out there. And, uh, but most people don't, don't tell the second half is the reimbursement rate is not covering their cost that is now lost from their normal business to get from insurance companies. So insurance companies are not paying hospitals right now because of the, the uh, COVID costs. They're not paying, but it's the feds. The reimbursement rate is not even as good as Medicare. Hmm. Wow. So, you know, they need a little bit of financial assistance to tune over $300 million. And uh, the hope is that um, maybe you can move at least, you know, one small piece of that. Okay. All right. Stay tuned on that. Um, want to talk about international affairs at all? I know the UN General Assembly has been meeting um, with a very grim outlook 
talk on the world. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I mean, we've been having grim outlooks in the world for like three years now, so that's another <laughs> issue, right? Uh, you know, President Zelensky, obviously, uh, you've all heard, uh, made an appearance, you know, set down demands, which are no surprise demands. Get out of my country. I mean, <laughs> what was going to say? Sure, this is, you know, stick around. I mean, get the hell out, right? Get out. Um, and also, this trust made our first uh, appearance as Prime Minister of uh, England, uh, of, of uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, she was the Foreign Affairs Minister prior to being Prime Minister. So, a lot of this stuff, um, you know, it's really good for her in the sense that she's already has a lot of these diplomatic connections and skills prior to being Prime Minister. Um, interesting choice in the UK for those who don't realize that the Prime Minister is uh, elected by the, the party in power. And then they actually put the nominees, uh, top two uh, nominees in front of the uh, party itself. And it's not like a primary here. It's only party members who actually have to pay to be a member of the party. So yeah. the prime minister is really chosen by the, not by uh, entirely by the party in power, but also by the uh, paid, uh, which is nothing wrong with that. I'm not, being, I'm not being facetious or mean about being a paid party member, but that's just how it works um, of like 2000 some odd people. Yeah. Yeah, and those those can get very boisterous. Those those uh, parliamentary sessions. Oh yeah, yeah, and even in, within the fight within the party itself, yeah. it's yeah. very engaging. It's not like a cakewalk. You you have to go in offense and defense uh, with this small group of voters uh, to convince people that you know you're the right person to lead the party as well as lead parliament. Yeah, it's, interesting. It's, it's very interesting. So, I mean, you know, two big speeches that you, uh, UN, obviously one's been the front line for the news for, God, seven months now. And another one that's a world leader that frankly, you know, the Western world does look to. I mean, I know the history of the UK is a long history of imperialism and all that stuff, but um, there's still a top, I think top six economy or maybe top mm. five economy. Uh, and they're still a key player in Europe. And uh, they're a key player in the defense of uh, Europe's security, uh, along with the French, the Germans, um, and the Italians in particular, they have larger standing armies. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously it's in their backyard. And they control the shipping lanes uh, around that region for the Russians to get in and out. So, uh, you know, we'll see how it plays out. But, you know, you've seen in the news, the Ukrainian offensive, they did a feint. They said they were going south, but they're really going north. <laughs> Look south. We're going northeast. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's definitely got some military uh, prowess uh, for sure. Yeah, and you know, let's. We know that the U.S. is helping them. I mean, let's not pretend they're not. I mean, yeah. not just not just on equipment. And uh, nowadays, we have civilian GPS satellites all over the place providing. <laughs> you know, here we got pictures. Enjoy. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you don't think Elon Musk is just giving things away at this point? Uh, people, it's such a different world now that you have private companies with uh, satellite imaging. They can just decide just to give to people uh, if they feel like it, as well as you know, Star uh, Starlink internet access from Elon Musk to make sure their internet system doesn't go down. Um, it's it's such a different world, isn't it? On um, how we operate and drones, we use drones uh, and uh, artillery. Uh, and it's like a TO two artillery. You got the mm -hmm. A World War II style uh, Russian just bombard and blow everything up along the way because you know, it has, I mean, I could throw a baseball more accurate than, than what they're shooting. Uh, and uh, meanwhile, you have a U.S. equipment that's small, portable, deadly, and, uh, and mobile equipment that's enormously accurate. And by the time you found out there was uh, 
the, the discharge of the weaponry, you know, the artillery is gone. The, the vehicle that discharged it is no longer there anymore, moved. Right. Uh, so it is actually interesting uh, how you have the, really this tale of two wars uh, in terms of uh, the equipment. And, uh, you know, in obviously morales go to the group that's protecting their homeland. Uh, they're protecting the home and their families and their lives. And, uh, you know, morale is stronger there. And the, you know, Putin uh, had uh, supposed to make an announcement on Monday. He got pushed out two days. And even then, they kept pushing it out every hour on his announcement. And basically bringing back a, a variation of conscription. Mm-hmm. Something he outlawed himself when he came to power over 20 years ago. And uh, he reinstituted conscription. So uh, they got a problem. And uh, people uh, don't realize that uh, you actually have to rotate soldiers. I mean, they've been fighting seven months nonstop uh, in the field. They didn't get a break. You don't get a break. It's not like a day job. Right. right? And at some point, there's wear and tear um, on the psyche and the bodies of your soldiers. And you got to kind of rotate them. The the Russians have no capacity for rotation. It's very obvious. So you wouldn't call it conscription if you had ability to rotate. And Ukrainian volunteers keep coming forward. Uh, some troubling news here at home regarding uh, energy prices this winter, Tacky. You saw the Globe article, huh? I did. I did see the Globe article. <laughs> yeah. Is it true or not true? Um, as you guys know, no, I, I do a lot of energy work in my life, uh, both in the Senate for Morrissey as well as in the AG. And even though I do consumer protection professional election now, I mean, I still keep some tabs. I do know a thing or two about a thing or two. Um, I know the media has been talking about inflation, inflation, inflation. I mean, you, it's out there. I think it's inside the people's psyche. Right now, I think consumer spending will go down in preparation, which is described higher energy prices in the fall, uh, in the wintertime. Uh, let's hope for a warm winter, guys. Yes, yes. Um, gas prices are going down, but that's a lot of interesting factors that, that do that in speculative market. But it's a supply, now we have a different supply chain issue that we didn't have to face nearly as much uh, when the Ukraine war began. Even though only 9% of all natural gas comes from Russia to the US, it's still 9%. If I remember them correct, that's still a lot. Yeah. Um, and you can only stick so much in the pipe because the pipe only has so much capacity and the refineries and other uh, transport mechanisms can only move so quick. Uh, the laws of physics still apply, folks. You know, you don't get there so fast, you can only you know, refine so much. So is it going to be like 60% spikes? Yeah, but let's let's put it in a little perspective. Massachusetts is a natural gas priority for home heating, right? So if you have a natural gas shortage for energy generation, electrical generation, the natural gas is prioritized for home heating. When you don't have enough natural gas for local generation, you have to do what we call a, a surge or spike or spot a pricing for electricity in ice New England controls the transmission system, they monitor the situation in 15-minute increments. If there's a signal that there's going to be a massive electrical disruption because there's not enough natural gas and it has to go to home heating, they'll put out contracts in 15-minute increments uh, to see who can give us power in 15 minutes. Hmm. And the bids will obviously work against us. You can get in 15 minutes. Uh, law of economics is not complicated, folks. Uh, you need it in 15 minutes or less. Uh, and You're going to pay a premium. Yeah. In your premium. So um, this is the interesting question about that and whether or not, um, depending on the winter goes, are there going to be a lot more um, 
spikes in the electric bill because of spot heat. So I'm going to tell you when the winter is really bad, it's going to be tough. Now, those of you on heat pumps, you all hear about heat pumps all the time, is 100% electric driven. So while you're not using natural gas, which actually helps the folks that are in natural gas because you're not consuming, and it may help a little bit the uh, energy generation uh, for gas plants, uh, you will feel the spike on electric costs higher than you would if you're a natural gas heating customer. And uh, you'll be sticker shocked this winter, like big time. Um, because you, even though folks are in natural gas, even they have uh, home heating, uh, that may be um, not water-based, but uh, um, like HAV-based uh, like my home. Uh, running that electric fan uh, for the natural gas is a lot less electricity to run your heat pump. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're getting basically you're getting a double whammy. You're you're paying for both your electricity uh, and your heat. And and if they're both going up, then yeah. You're yeah. Paying. Yeah. And if you're forced high, for, forced high water, I mean, it's forced high water, guys. You just you all know how that works. Yeah. It's just a small circulator pump. Not a big deal. Yeah. Big deal in terms of your electrical cost. So um, I know there's been a lot of talk about you know these different type of heating systems and, and getting off of uh, natural gas and all that. And I get it. But, uh, you know, this is going to be the untold story. And to be honest with you, um, people are going to tell it uh, about there. Uh, they're going to focus, uh, the media is going to hyper-focus on uh, gas prices and electrical prices, but they won't focus on, you know, who is paying how much for a heat pump. Once you get past installation and uh, the electrical impact, um, you know, people are going to talk about that. And uh, like I said, I don't think anybody will because it's kind of like a political correct thing right now. Right, um, but you know that that's what's going to happen. Is it going to be sixty percent? It's a it's a little bit like I say, a little bit tricky because you know, the nature of spot power. Right. Yeah, and there are you know there are programs help assistance programs available if folks qualify. They should definitely look into. Um, everybody can um, insulate their homes better, you know, and 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 stop uh, stop air air leaks um, with caulking and weather stripping things like that. Close your drapes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Something so is closing your drapes, um, and also you know limit your electrical usage by turning on and off lights, which is something we've been taught since we were kids, and obviously unplug uh, your portable devices. I mean, the, I'm using my uh, work um, surface here, and uh, it's not plugged into the wall. I'm running off the battery. Mm-hmm. And actually, helps your electrical costs as well as unplugging things like your surge protectors, small things like that, and also off peak. Um, you know, while uh, daytime hours there's a higher usage. You know, try doing your laundry after 9 p.m. after 10 p.m. Uh, you may save a little bit of money because the uh, electrical costs will shift. And uh, we are deregulated electrical, electrical generation. Uh, I've had to explain this to people, which I find interesting. You've been deregulating electricity for since 2000. People still think the utility owns the uh, electrical generation. They, they don't. It, it's all competitive. Uh, and sometimes it works really well. But given the uh, challenge of speculative investment on energy, uh, obviously, you know, this has been really challenging. The Ukraine war was unseeable. We didn't know this was going to happen. Um, and of course, COVID, you know, completely messed everything up regarding energy supply chain, as you all saw, regarding, you know, the price of oil dropping below zero dollars for the first time in history. When no one was driving, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it's it's pretty um, pretty unique sort of circumstances. But this is a foretended future, too. Climate change is going to have a huge impact on uh, your electrical prices, on your heating uh, in the wintertime as we have more extreme weather. 
Um, we had an unusually hot summer, and I don't know what the winter will bring because, again, this is New England. Uh, who knows what's going to happen? Um, but we do need snow, folks. I mean, one of the reasons we had a massive drought uh, because we didn't have a great snow winter. Uh, and particularly in the Quabbin and uh, particularly on res people reservoirs and wells, I mean, snowpacks are very important. So, you know, uh, you know, not like I'm wishing us to get pack back pain this winter, uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, we could use some steady snow. Yeah, well, actually, um, snowy winters are typically a little bit warmer um, than than just, uh, you know, bone chilling colds because when it's too cold to snow. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'd rather have a, a temperate, you know, 40 degrees and, and shoveling versus, you know, fluffy. Well, actually, no, I like fluffy stuff. So, I mean, we could do like a little bit of a combo here where it's like 20 <laughs> degrees fluffy and I can get it out of the way fast. Let's just uh, have, how about a 50 degree winter? <laughs> yeah, hard. avoid all the shoveling together. Yeah. We just have a light rain all the time. I just thought about it for a second. I was like, no, I'd rather have fluffy snow. It's yeah, much yeah. <laughs> it was easier on my back. <laughs> uh, let's give out your uh, your contact information. Sure, 617-722-2370, 617-722-2370. Call the office, hit a button. Someone will be there to pick out a phone or just leave a message and one of us will get back to you somehow. Uh, obviously, you can reach me at tackey.chan at mahouse.gov, tacky.chan at mahouse.gov. As you all know, I still prioritize you know, my emails around people that need help right away, like constituent problems. Uh, I do read them all your email. I read them whether you individually write them or you write them in bulk as part of a listserv, and people love their listservs. Um, you know, state representative Tacky Chan Facebook, you all know the drill. It's my social media. Um, you know, we put out public hearings up there as chair of a committee, as well as use information and some pictures of where I've been. Uh, would you guys actually use it to ask about where I've been? Um, you know, I have a Twitter account at Tacky Chan, as well as uh, the TackyChan.org website. Um, you know, just some useful information there. We're still uh, discussing how we're going to update various things. And then we also have, obviously, the state website, malegislation.gov. Um, it's a little slow for some reason, the state website. Uh, you just it's, it's a, that'd be a traffic issue depending on time of day, but you guys can look up your bills and whatnot there as well. And, um, you know, plenty of information available all over the place. All right. Appreciate it, Tacky. Always fun and informative. Well, it's always good to see you. And uh, hopefully we'll see you in a week's time. <laughs>